1: Well, hello. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Uh, It says this, that people change depending on their connection with other people. That is, people change depending on their connection with other people. If you present a truth, here's the rule, 10% uh, will believe it, 10% will do nothing, 80% will believe it depending on their connection with others. If you present a truth, 10% will believe it, 10% will do nothing, 80% will believe it, but it depends on their connection connection with other people believing that same truth. Basically, what it says is the influence that other people have on us. It was Zig Ziglar that said that children get on dr- teenagers get on drugs depending on their connection with other children on drugs uh, teenagers practice promiscuous sex depending on their whether they're hanging out with other children who are practicing a premarital sex and you can reverse that your child will not get on drugs if they're hanging out with kids who are not on drugs and your child will not uh, practice promiscuous sex if if they're hanging out with kids who don't do that so You know, the influence that other people have on us is incredible. The 80-20 rule also applies to believing a lie. If you present a lie, 10% will believe it, 10% will do nothing, 80% will believe it depending on their connection with other people believing the lie. You see. Another way of putting this is that is this. The majority of people will believe a truth depending on their connection with other people who are also believing the same truth. And the majority of people will believe a lie depending on their connection with other people who are also believing the same lie. Okay, now what this is referred to is groupthink. Groupthink is the kind of thinking in which maintaining group cohesiveness and solidarity is more important than considering the facts in a realistic manner. So how does this work in church? Because church is a group of people, you see. Well, this is the way it works in church. Well, everybody around me believes this, so, it, so I believe it. it's got to be right. Or my preacher says this, so it's got to be right. In some cases, it doesn't even take a group of people. It just takes an authoritarian figure, such as a minister or a priest or whatever, uh, a scribe or whatever, who says, no, this is right takes one person, just an authoritarian figure, and people will say, okay, I believe it, because he said so, because my minister said so. So we're not really going to think about whether this issue is true or not. What's important with groupthink is that I fit in. In other words, I fit in to the group. I fit in to the church. We're all thinking the same thing in this area. In church, you know, I must get along and not upset the apple cart, whatever I've got to be nice. I don't want to be unchristian, you know. Now, <clears throat> it's strange in construction work, you know, I do construction work and a bunch of construction workers can argue fuss and fight and disagree all day long. But in church, you can't do this. In church, you've got to be nice. you got to all get along with one another. you got to all think the same way, you see. Now, how does group think work in a church? Well, let me give you an example. I had a friend that worked with us, and uh, he knew that I kept the dietary laws in Leviticus 11, and and one day he asked me, you know, he said, why why do you keep those? I noticed you don't eat pork, you don't eat certain things. Uh, Why? And I I just, I didn't preach at him. I didn't say you got to do this. I just said, well, it's Leviticus 11, where it separates clean from unclean meats. You know, God created scavengers that are not meant for human consumption, and he created clean beasts that were meant for human consumption that's basically all i said and well what happened is over a period of time you know his wife would pack him a ham sandwich you know every day it was some type of something and, and and eventually he came to me he said david he said i'm feeling guilty because every day all i do is eat this pork this ham this whatever it may be and i'm feeling guilty about eating this now again mind you i had not preached to him I, had not, I was not trying to get him to believe like I believe. I just said, this is the reason I don't do it, Leviticus 11. And his conviction was working on his heart because he felt guilty for eating unclean meats. Now, what happened to this guy is he joined a church. He joined a Baptist church. And over a period of time, it took about a year, he, his, his conviction faded away because he was in a groupthink where when he would mention this about the dietary laws, they would tell him, oh, no, that's, that's Mosaic, that's Old Testament, uh, it doesn't matter, all you got to do is just say, praise Je- Jesus over this uh, possum that you're about to eat, you know, and it's clean all of a sudden. You know, and, and, and so that's what he was getting from his groupthink, and eventually he lost his conviction. By the power of groupthink, he lost his conviction. Now, question. Which is more important, the groupthink in a church, or the conviction and leadership of the Holy Spirit? What do you think? What is more important? Now, now, a lot of you will say, well, they're one and the same thing. My church is led by the Holy Spirit. Don't kid yourself in that area. Don't do not kid yourself. Which is more important? The groupthink of a church or the individual conviction and leadership of the Holy Spirit. The two are not the same. The groupthink of a church and conviction and leadership of the Holy Spirit can be two opposites. They can be. Not always, but it can be. They can be going in opposite directions. Not always, but it can be. Groupthink is very powerful in church. We would rather maintain our togetherness than question whether This thing that we are believing is true or not, you see. What we are believing might be a lie, but for the sake of unity in the church, we're not going to look into this. We're not going to study into this. We're not going to blow the dust off our Bibles and see, well, what does the Bible really say? We're just going to keep our unity and togetherness in a church. Now, Jesus never spoke of the power of groupthink as a good thing. In fact, he said this. He said in Matthew 10 and verse 36, A man's foes shall be they of his own household. Yeah. You're not going to have this togetherness even in your own family system. And that's what Jesus is saying. A man's foe shall be they of his own household. So forget group thing. Jesus did not speak positive of it. Psalms 118 and verse 8 says this. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So how much confidence are you placing in your group? How much confidence do you place in your church? I'm telling you, most people, when they go to church, it's like they screw their heads off and just leave them in the back seat of the car, you know, whatever. and They don't even take their heads into church with them. You know, it's not needed. You know, it's gonna, you're going to have a, you know, the, the preacher is going to drill a hole in your head, pop a funnel in it, and pour in what he wants you to believe. So when I ask how are, confident are you in, in, in your church or in your placing, in your group, well, it's, it's 100% confidence. We don't want to think is the problem. The reason we have such confidence is we don't want to think for ourselves. 1 John 2 and verse 27 tells us something that is very, very powerful. It says, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. Now this is talking about provided that you have been Baptized, receive the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, this is what the anointing is, talking about on the inside. We're talking, we're talking about the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And it says, And you need not that any man should teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. So when I ask you what is more important, The group think of a church or the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is what you can understand about the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It it teaches you all things. It's truth. And it is no lie. You can't go wrong by trusting the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. It's on an individual, one-to-one basis. It's you and the Spirit that abides inside of you. The leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's not you... The church, the ministry, the group think, and then the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's, you have to be sort of like a long wolf in this area. Uh, a lone wolf. I mean, you, you have to <clears throat> trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit in this area. Now, again, which is more important? The anointing of the Holy Spirit or groupthink? Well, you have to decide that for yourself. But I'm telling you, what's more important is that you trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem is this. Very few of us are really honest with ourselves. Uh, My friend that I told you about was looking for an excuse not to keep the dietary laws. So he found a group of people called a church that supported his desire. What he wanted, the group think, the church, gave him. You don't have to do this. You don't need to do this. This is mosaic. This is Old Testament. Law's been abolished, been nailed to the cross, whatever. You know, that's what he found a church that told him that. Now, my own conversion process, uh, or I should say entering that process, not that the conversion is over with, we all enter into that process, the salvation process room upon your calling. And it's a process that goes on until the day you die. But <clears throat> when God first called me, I didn't want to keep the Sabbath day or the holy days. Uh, I, I knew they were in the Bible, I read them, I could read about them, you know, this, this is what I, you know, these are the feasts of Jehovah, these are the feasts of the Lords, my Sabbaths you shall keep, I read all about that, but I didn't want to do it. You see, now this is a, prop, uh, a common denominator in the, in the carnal mind, the natural way we come into this world. We really don't want to do what we see in the Bible. Now, and I struggled with it, you know, and I just said, I don't, I don't want to do it. But, but, I mean, I think the difference was I, I admitted it to God. I said, God, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do what your word says. And because of that honesty, the door to the Holy Spirit stayed open. Had I been willing to play games, well, let me tell you about one of the games I could have played. I didn't really, really want to do it. I didn't want to keep the Sabbath. I didn't want to keep his Holy Days. Now, question, how easy would it have been for me to enter into fellowship with a group of people who, who would have taught me out of this? How easy would that have been? It'd been very easy. They're called churches on every street corner who would have taught me out of this. Okay? Simply, simply put, you know, it's very easy. Uh, and you see the, the problem is the authority of a church allows us to blindly trust that authority. Often we're trusting, like I said, one man, the minister, who carries a lot of authority. We can trust the authority of the church more than we can trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's what religious addiction is. I mean, religious addiction is being in a church, a religion, or a denomination, where you don't have to think and make decisions for yourself. Now, you can see how that's very comforting. You can see how that you know, you, you leave it up to the authority of the church. You know, it's not me, it's the authority of the church. You know, wh- well, what do I believe? Well, let me question the authority of the church. What do I think? Let me question the authority, let me see what the authority of the church says on this subject. So it's, it's very convenient, you know, and that's sort of, the only problem is a relationship with God cannot exist in that environment. No, the leadership of the Holy Spirit is, is individualized. It's you and what the Spirit tugs upon your heart and tells you to do and wants you to do, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's what you're after. Now talking about authority and the authority of a church, in 1961 Stanley Milgram did something called the Milgram Experience. And what he was struggling with is, is do people listen to those in positions of authority even if what they are telling them is wrong? That's what he was, str- he was struggling with like Nazi Germany when you know six million Jews were killed and a lot of when those people were brought on trials the Germans were brought on trial for for why they did that a lot of them would say I was only following orders I was only following my superior and so the Milgram experience wanted to know do people listen to those in authority even if what they're telling them is wrong that's what he was trying to figure out so he set up an experiment and what was involved was three people. You had two people that had met each other and knew each other, two individuals, two, two guys on the streets, or whatever. They'd meet each other. And then you had the professor. You had the doctor in the white lab coat, whatever. The authority figure That's what you had. And so the two people <clears throat> on the street came in for the testing, and, and they would sit down, and one would ask the other one a question. And if he got the question wrong, he would shock him with a little low-voltage shock. No, you got that incorrect. you know, whatever. Well, as he continued to get questions wrong, he would ask a question. If he got it wrong, the voltage was clicked up each time. You know, it out at 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 120, whatever. And got the question wrong, oh, we're up to 120. And the guy would scream, ah, it hurts. Now, none of this was actually going on. It was an experiment. You know, one person was on this side of the wall. The other was on the other side of the wall. It wasn't actually happening, but it it appeared it was happening. And the guy would turn and say, hey, hey, he's screaming. The guy in the white coat would say, I'll accept. Full responsibility. Keep going. 130, 140, 150, 160. All the way until the guy quit screaming. Now this went on, I'll, I'll accept full responsibility. You keep going on. You just keep doing what I'm telling you. Very few, men and women, very few would, you know, would refuse. Most of them kept going until there were no screams on the other side of the wall. So what it told us was there's a blindness to you know, this authoritarian figure that we will listen to this authority figure no matter what they tell us, as long as they will accept full responsibility for my actions, you see. So, my point is, churches are more than buildings with a cross on top. They are authoritarian figures where we can relieve ourselves from any responsibility to think for ourselves. That's the problem. Uh, Groupthink is a kind of thinking in which maintaining group cohesiveness and solidarity is more important than considering the facts it's really not about considering the facts it's about buildings that has this authority authoritarian figure to tell us it's about buildings that has the authority to tell me how to think by a process called group think, where everybody agrees on it not only do I have this authoritarian figure who's saying I'm right listen to me, I'll accept full responsibility. Not only do I have that, I have the benefit of the group think where everybody thinks just like I do. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you think about this, if you think about this, and that's a big if, there is no room for spiritual growth in this environment. None. None whatsoever. Unless you are the lone wolf, you and the Spirit following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and it takes... Really, you know, <laughs> a lot of courage to go against the status quo. really does. You know, we thought we got over peer pressure. We're all familiar what peer pressure is as a, as a child. Peer pressure is the legitimate need to belong and, you know, the, the great fear we all have of rejection. We all struggle with this still. I don't care if you're 40, 50, 60 years old, you're still struggling with peer pressure. You know, that need to belong. And the absolute fear of being rejected. You know, we struggle with that. Now, I want to look at, okay, Romans 11 and verse, uh, 14 and verse 11. 14 and verse 11. It says, For It is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, my question is this. Where is groupthink in this equation? Where is the church? Where is the influence of other people? Where is peer pressure when it says, Every one of us is going to stand before God alone, the lone wolf. And you're going to give an answer to God for the things that you've done, for the way that you thought, for the things that you thought. Now, I think our problem is this. We underestimate the power of our own decision-making process. We underestimate that. We don't consider that, hey, wait a minute. I can make a decision on my own, as long as I have the Holy Spirit of God as my leadership, and I can come to my own conclusion about things. We underestimate the power of our own decision making. I think about the prodigal son. It's an interesting, you know, the prodigal son, you know, he was a man that, a young man, who said, Father, give, my, give me my inheritance. I want to blow it on wild women and drink. I want to have a good time. And the father gave him his inheritance and said, there it is. Father gave him what he wanted. God is good at that, giving us what we want. Even when what we want is wrong and bad, he'll still give it to you. (laughs) Be careful about your desires. All right. So the prodigal goes out and eventually he came to himself. He realized, I am screwing up my life big time. Now, what's interesting about this story is that the the father did not chase after him. The father did not beg and plead, Oh, won't you come back home? Won't you give your heart to the Lord? He didn't do none of that. He didn't call him up on the phone, didn't have phones back then, but he didn't call him up on the ram's horn. He didn't chase after him. He didn't beg and plead for him to return. No. Now, did he pray for him? Yes, I'm absolutely sure. The father, but that's another, that's a spiritual element. All parents pray for their kids. I understand that. But he didn't chase after him. He let him have free reign. He let him have enough rope to hang himself. Yeah. There's two things about the prodigal son. One is that motivated by pain. The father let the son be motivated by pain. In fact, this is what your Bible says about this story. Luke 15 and verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens. In other words, when he came to the end of, him, end of himself, this is what happened. He hired himself out. He went to work. And he went out, to, and the guy that hired him sent him out to feed pigs. And he would gladly have filled himself the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. And this guy had come to the end of his rope. No one was giving him anything. He's eating pig's food. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many in my father's hired hands have bread enough to eat, to spare? But I'm out here dying of hungry? hunger. This is abject stupidity. I'm out here starving to death. Why don't I go home? So the first thing was he was motivated by pain. And if there's anything that will get you to change, it is pain. The second thing is he accepted, once he experienced the pain, and he came to himself... He accepted full responsibility for his stupidity and actions and he made his decision to stand on his own two feet. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. He did not make his decisions based on the father's influence. The father did not chase after him. He did not make his decision based on the whores that wanted him to stay there for another fun night. He did not make his decisions on his peers who said, well, let's just stay here and drink another beer and that will solve all the problems. No. He stood alone, the lone wolf, and made his decision. So then, Romans 14, verse 12, so then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9 says this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer thee in the day of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart, and in the sight of your eye. Yeah, do, do whatever. But make your decisions carefully now, what you desire, what you like, what you see. But know thou, continuing on, that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. My point is this. In the end, you answer to God alone. You're not gonna say, my preacher said, my church said, my friend said, my wife said, my husband said, the world around me said. Oh no, you answer to God alone. And that's what's really in your Bible.
0: Many people spend their whole life repeating the same old mistakes. What does it take to have good discernment and good judgment? It takes having the Spirit of God. But what many people overlook is, the Spirit of God is not something that you are born with. Man was created incomplete, missing that spiritual element that would make him complete. The Bible clearly lays out the way to receive the Spirit of God. Learn the step-by-step process for receiving the Spirit of God. Order your free copy of Why You Need the Holy Spirit. Order by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.org.